We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Hello and welcome to a much delayed episode of the Doster, T.O. and Fanta podcast. This is the DTF podcast. It is Tuesday afternoon to 11 p.m. March 28th. Uh, we were going to record on Monday. All of us took a red eye home on uh, Sunday night from Las Vegas, decided it wasn't the best idea to do it Monday. We were going to record Tuesday at 10 a.m. And uh, one of us slept in and blew through an alarm and did not have any children or family <laughs> members waking us up this morning. Uh, that might have been ball wasn't me might have been me might have been me i'll here here's what here's what normally happens so i'll walk you through what normally happens in the doster household in the morning at some point between 6 a.m and 7 a.m there is a child either a seven-year-old or a four-year-old that comes boom storming into our room waking us up around then there is at some point where i get the kick tio you know about the kick when you're laying there and you're sleeping you get the kick and you get told get the kick Hey, somebody needs to uh, needs to make breakfast. Someone needs to make sure that the kids are getting their teeth brushed, that they're getting their they're getting dressed, they're getting their clothes on for the day. I didn't get woken up between six and seven a.m. I didn't get the kick. I had no children wake me up to say goodbye as they were on their way to school. My wife did not wake me up when she was walking out of the house, and I woke up at eleven thirty eight a.m. And, <laughs> and you know how you know you had a good sleep? Like you wake up and you just feel the drool on the side of your face. It was one of those things where. I, I put my head down. It's like I watched after dark fan of you guys last night while I was laying there in bed and I rolled over, closed my eyes. And the next time I opened my eyes, it was 1138 AM. There was no like rustling. There was no like falling asleep as you wow. put your head down, you put your head up and it's uh, 11 and a half hours later. And I was like, what is, do you remember when Fanta slept on? in? I think, but I think Fanta slept in by like 30 minutes. Rob went a whole hour and 38 minutes. I, I haven't slept. I don't think I've slept past 9 a.m. since like college. No, man. For like 20 years. And here I am waking up at 1138 a.m. Hey, man, you deserved it. You deserved it. You need it. Uh, there's there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with sleeping in every now and then. And what I, I want to say this to that ride back, the, the red eye back from Las Vegas sober is alarming. And I'm just saying that because that plane from Las Vegas to Atlanta, the 1115 flight, it smells bad. There's people pissed. Even the flight attendants were pissed. 
<laughs> and then there's people that are sitting beside you that just don't care. They're at a point, their belly hurts, they're farting in public, and it stinks so bad in that whole plane. And it is a less than de- desirable situation for all involved. There was one point, I'll be honest, we, we're about to take off, and somebody just kept popping them off and farting. I said out loud, I was like, guys, I don't know who's doing it, but this is a long flight. Get it together. Stop farting. <laughs> and it stopped, at least until I fell asleep. Sometimes you got to let people know and be a little combative. I was pissed. It smelled terrible in there. And the guy beside me was so angry because I'm pretty sure he lost Doster money in Vegas. So it I was like, I didn't lose that. It was much, one of those things right? where, hey, guys, let's just get through this. I, I uh, didn't. There's nobody. If you lost what I lost, you, you're not going to be like pissed enough to, like, I, I didn't lose as much as it would have cost to fly out there. All right. That's not bad okay, at all. I lost some. It wasn't the first class flight. I w- here's the thing. I would have uh, I would have been up money if one of the people days? if one of the people on this podcast um, did not decide uh, after we had just finished grinding out a profit on blackjack to go and just bet it all on red on roulette. And we did that two or three times. <laughs> that <laughs> was so flushed, funny. I'd have flushed some money down the toilet. We uh, if there was one person on this podcast that started chanting Patino. And then, then did the Yukon chant. See, I was good until you started. Then, the, when you did the Yukon chant, I went, uh, I, yeah, I had to, I was like, okay, we got to do this. This is the, a guaranteed winner. Nope. It lost. Now, so, here's my takeaway my takeaway is that you're both not revealing anything here. You're both, you're both telling lies. Number one, <laughs> what, what, what's not getting told is that, is that Rob's wife and children actually left him. So, he was all alone in the <laughs> <laughs> and Ter- and Terrence was so bad over the weekend that he actually got kicked out of his own house, and that's why he's coming to us from a random garage on his block right now. Dude, my entire block's out of electricity. You guys just talk to my wife, and I promise you'll see my kids in uh, T minus eighteen minutes. Oh, they're going to come <laughs> in. They're, off gonna, the bus. they're coming in off the bus, so we'll see him behind us. And Damon might even start shooting, so we're just going to have to ignore him in the back. Well, in all hopefully, seriousness, hopefully he's a better shooter than you then because we don't want to see that otherwise. You're right. In all seriousness, a huge shout out to Circa. They were phenomenal over the weekend at hosting our crew. I, I still cannot believe how beautiful of a resort that is. Wow. I mean, Derek and his team over there deserve huge kudos. If you haven't seen that interview yet, folks, check it out on Field oh, yeah. awesome. How about that? That was yep. incredible. All right, let's get, into, let's get into today's episode. We're presented by our partners at Bet Rivers. Uh, we're presented by Underdog Fantasy. Using the code FIELD gets you a 100% deposit match up to $100. Uh, gentlemen, before we get into previewing the Final Four, just kind of any big picture takeaways from the second weekend. Anything that you're sitting here saying, you know, this is this is something that we, can, we need to remember. This is something that is going to matter moving forward. Fanta, I'll go to you first. Well, I just think that the way that Florida Atlantic has gone on this run, the narrative out there from the casual person is is that they're wearing Cinderella's slipper. And I get that. I get that it's easy to make that claim. But to me, they're not a Cinderella. They've played 38 games. They've won 35 of them. This team was outstanding all season long coming into this tournament. And they absolutely deserve to be where they are. 11 and 1. 11 and 1 in games decided by five points or less. A 46 year old named Dusty May in Boca Raton, Florida, has built an incredible team and a team that earned their way here. Honestly, the amount of respect that I had for Marquise Noel, Jerome Tang, and Kansas State was through the roof. So much so that I felt at one point during this tournament that it didn't matter who they played, they were going to find a way to win. And I was sorely mistaken. I love FAU. Everything about them. I love the way that they've played in closing time in these games. I love that it doesn't have to be John L. Davis every single time. They, They go a legit eight or nine deep. I love that Brandon Weatherspoon comes out of nowhere and hits a a clutch three in your eye hole to to seal up the win over K-State. For FAU, Florida Atlantic University, to go into Madison Square Garden and beat Tennessee and Kansas State 
what I would call grown men teams, is simply amazing, memorable, and I don't think they're done yet. I think one thing we can take away is just how there's uh, so many different ways to skin a cat. And what do I mean by that? Uh, UConn has one transfer, but for the most part, it's a bunch of guys that Hurley recruited. Uh, FAU, a bunch of guys that they recruited on their own, some younger players that they recruited on their own. That, Quite frankly, guys, a lot of sophomores, a lot of juniors, those are guys that were recruited by FAU while the transfer portal was being introduced. Therefore, where a lot of high majors were recruiting the portal, the guys that they would have been recruiting are going down a level. And what happens? FAU, they grab some guys. San Diego State's been portal heavy for a long time. And then Miami did it through NIL. So, like, there's a lot of different ways to be good right now. What I'll also say is, I think it was Borzello who tweeted this out. For the first time since, oh, I don't know when, this is the first Final Four without a single McDonald's All-American on any roster. Now, what does that mean? They're older teams. They're more physical teams. They're playing against grown men. I wonder, as soon as this COVID year is finally over, at what point does the power of the one-and-done return? Because I think it's going to. I think it's going to. Because now that these 17- and 18-year-olds are playing 24-year-olds, it's different than playing 22-year-olds. I'm curious to see how that's going to progress over here over the next three or four years. But that being said, while the casual fan doesn't necessarily enjoy the fact that Duke and North Carolina and Kentucky and all these teams are in, appreciate this for what it is. It's a lot of really good basketball being played by four teams that do it in different ways. And if you understand nuance, this is a great Final Four. If you don't understand nuance, there's a lot that's going to be blown right past you. Yeah. What I'll say is this, and and on your point about the McDonald's All-Americans, T.O., I think a lot of that has to do with what this class is and the fact that the three dudes that could have been game changers in the 2022 class are all playing some level of professional basketball, whether it's Scoot Henderson, the Thompson Twins, whatever. Those guys didn't end up on campus. If they ended up on campus, it'd be a different conversation. It's also the last Do you think they'd be in the Final Four? Depends on where they went, but... Scoot Scoot was going to go to Auburn. I think that that would have changed a lot of things for Auburn. They wouldn't have been a Final Four team. I think think it would have changed a lot of things for Auburn. They would have been really good. Um, I don't know if they would have made a Final Four, but you put in a guard that's that good on Auburn, I think it changes a lot of things. Either way, um, I also think part of it is just it's not a very good recruiting class, and I don't think next year is going to be all that good either, and the year after that might not be very good. But but okay, okay, so you just said three straight recruiting classes aren't going to be good. Yeah, they're, okay. just, what, they're down. What, what, they're down. No. So, well, the twenty twenty two class, I don't because think they're not looked at. They're not looked at as good because they're going to go go. They're going to go and play against older players. Of course, they're not looked at as good. No, this. So I'm only. I'm basically. Par- I'm not going to sit here and pretend to be a recruiting expert. I am parroting what a lot of those recruiting. Someone, one of the guys, uh, at think- at when we were at Adidas in 2022, um, last year, To one of the guys told me TV? that I'm on a show. Mom, we're live. <laughs> Don't scream shit. Go. And Mom, Maria's inside. <laughs> this is My not mom getting comes cut out. Just starts cursing. This is this is not getting cut <laughs> out. This is not. No, that cut was out. really good. Also, we you don't should, have to. You should it's say Lena's star to turn. It's Lena's star turn. You should say your sorry say to your mom. She she just came in and cursed. How are you? Hello. How are you? So <laughs> no. It's okay. Don't You're all right. Don't be sorry at all. He's Don't being be a sorry. jerk. I'm being a jerk, apparently. All right. <laughs> we're, leaving, I, we're leaving this in. That is that is absolutely not getting cut out. Um, either They're way, I, don't think, in. I, I, I do right. want to make one point real quick. There's actually two points I want to make on this Final Four. One, it's the importance and the value of continuity, right? If you look at what San Diego State has, Nathan Mentz has been there for, what, like 17 years at this point? Same thing with Adam Seiko. Same thing with Agueca Rope. Uh, Matt Bradley's been there for two years now. Lamont Butler's uh, was is, he's a junior. He's been there for three years. Kashad Johnson's been there for four years. Their starting lineup, their core rotation, has been there for a while, and then they've added pieces to it to help them get better. UConn's core, Andre Jackson, third year. Adama Sanogo, third year. Jordan Hawkins, second year. They added pieces to the right. group of guys that they already had to, to kind of fill out um, where you need things filled out. If you look at what Miami, Florida has, yes, 
They added Norchad O'Meara and Nigel Pack, but they also have Jordan Miller, who's been there for three years. Wuga Poplar is in his second year. Isaiah Wong is what he's like a fourth year junior or something like that. Yeah. Like they, they have yeah. a core. Bensley Joseph, like they, yeah. they've got guys too. Yeah, that they they have a core that they added to. Same thing with Florida Atlantic. Like those guys, they're, they're not just they're not just going out and building a new roster every single year. And I think that that's important. The other thing I want to say is this idea that like there's no good teams in the Final Four. Like, okay, first of all, UConn's a four seed. They're also number one on Ken Palm by a significant margin right now. They're number one on Torvik by a significant margin. Like that's that's a very good basketball team that had a a down stretch uh, that kind of torpedoed what their seeding could be. San Diego State is 31 and six. Miami is 29 and seven, and they won the ACC regular season title. Florida Atlantic won 35 fucking games. Like, okay, we don't have the biggest brand name programs here, but to act like there aren't very, very good basketball teams in this final four, it's just kind of like, we're, what are we talking about? What are we doing here? I couldn't agree with you more. This narrative for those who have it is more about brand familiarity or lack thereof rather than exactly. it is about rather than it is about the quality of basketball look at the elite eight games three of the four games were decided by seven points or less two games florida atlantic kansas state san diego state creighton were decided on the last possession and the one that was seven points miami and texas was Arguably the best game of the tournament and the wildest final eight minutes of a game in the tournament because it looked as though Texas had a trip booked to the final four. Mm -hmm. And Miami comes all the way back. I've never seen a team play a game more to their style and be down 13 points than Miami was playing against Texas. And eventually it led to the, the dam breaking and the Hurricanes winning. So this final four should be celebrated. Should this be every single year of these particular four teams? No. Even Jim Laranega said in his Zoom press conference on Monday that he doesn't think it'd be great if it was this type of Final Four every year because part of being a fan of college basketball is is being able to identify with certain brands. But if you're going to call it March Madness, and if you're the guy out there who's like, well, early upsets I love, but then they end up ruining the tournament later on, no, 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 no. These teams belong here. Not only did they pull off upsets, they actually kept it going as the tournament went on, particularly speaking of Florida Atlantic, of San Diego State, and of Miami. These teams belong here. This Final Four is good for college basketball. We will see the heavyweights get back. We're a year removed. The fact that we could be a year removed from Duke, Carolina, Kansas, and Villanova the fact that over the last four years, 16 different teams have occupied the final four slots, we haven't had a repeat in the last four years, is a direct reflection of why this sport should be celebrated for doing what college football never does. Mm-hmm. The parity. It's the balance. It's that the, the fact that anybody can win. Um, yeah, I th- that's very well said, Finn, and there, there's a lot that I agree with there. T.O., uh, let's let's start turning this forward. Let's start looking at the Final Four. Let's start talking about some of these matchups. I want to start with the the UConn Miami matchup. Um, where where do you stand on on how? Or you know what? Let me open it up like this. Let's start this. UConn or the field, To UConn or Miami, San Diego State, and Florida Atlantic. Who are you taking to win the national title? UConn. There's just here's the thing. FAU. And San Diego State play very similarly. Uh, San Diego State is just bigger. They both thrive on the boards. FAU can score a little, a little bit better, but I, San Diego State just forces people to do exactly what they want. So I think that's – I think San Diego State's going to win that one, but we'll talk about them in a second. UConn and Miami's, I, in my mind, that's the national championship game. I think that's uh, – those are the two most talented teams. Miami can score it. Norton Shed O'Meara, though, he has his hands full against this UConn team, guys, that I, I don't know how you stop them right now, especially the way Jordan Hawkins is shooting the ball, especially the way Andre Jackson's figured out how teams are playing him. Uh, UConn's just so big, so strong. They can play different styles and beat you. And I, I'll be honest, guys, like, there's nobody there for them. They, they have scoring at where they need it, and they have it in different spots when they need it. Uh, UConn looks as good as anybody in college that college basketball's had in the Final Four, and sometime, in some time. Mm-hmm. 
Fanna. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. U-C-O-N-N. It's Connecticut that has been the most impressive team in this tournament. It's Connecticut, which has reminded us that they were 14-0 to start the season, that they won the PK-85. They ran ship through Alabama. They beat Iowa State. The UConn Huskies are the best team in the land. And to win their four tournament games by a combined 90 points, to outscore their competition 174 to 107 in the second half of their tournament games. They have the best big man in America right now in Adama Sanogo. His motor is unlimited. The fact that he can hand it off to Donovan Klingon is like an elite baseball team that can hand it off to a Mariano Rivera or a flame-throwing reliever who could come in and totally empty the tank in an inning or two. Jordan Hawkins is playing like a top-20 NBA draft pick because he is one. This team is a an embarrassment of riches from a depth perspective right now. And I really don't know how you stop them. You have to pick your poison and hope they have an off-shooting night in a football stadium. Miami could score with them. Miami can score with them. Miami could score with anybody. But, yes. def- but defensively, Miami's not the team that Connecticut is. And Miami will have trouble in the front court because Norchad O'Meara can only do so much. UConn should win the national championship, and in my opinion, will win their fifth national championship since 1999. Nobody else has more than three. Yeah. So normally, I am, um, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not, I'm not a great fan. And what I mean by that is, I'm the guy that's always pessimistic. Like I, we don't have to share the text messages that I've sent you guys throughout the season, but like I, I get. I get very stressed about the teams that I care about in those moments. And when things aren't going well, it's like, oh, they fucking suck. They're terrible. Get them out of here. We got to cut this guy. We got to fire this guy. We got to throw this guy in the ocean. And it's not just UConn. It's every team that that, that I root for. So um, normally in a situation like this, I would be I, – I, I mean, you guys, I, I thought that – I was I managed to convince myself that UConn was going to lose to Iona. That's just what I did. And I managed to convince myself that if they played VCU, there's no way they're getting out of the second round of the NCAA tournament, right? I managed to convince myself that Arkansas was going to find the exact matchup that you needed that was going to be able to beat UConn. I'm sitting here in this Final Four, and I just feel oddly confident about the way that this is going to play out, right? Like, I, I just don't know. When you look at what Miami does, I don't know how they beat UConn. How can they do something like where, where's the matchup that they exploit beyond simply saying, I'm just going to bet on Isaiah Wong and Nigel pack, both going for 35 and having it just be too much for UConn to stop, which like for the record is certainly a a possibility. Those dudes are studs. They're absolute bucket getters. I just, I don't know how Miami beats them, right? When you have one big guy that's six, six, and you got to go up against the the two headed monster that UConn has, when you are a team that struggles on the defensive glass against the best uh, offensive rebounding team in college basketball, when you go up against a team that could guard you and defend you in two very different ways, whether it's the hard hedges when Sonogo's out there, 
whether it's the drop coverage when Donovan Klingon's out there, when they can run an offense that relies on having a rim-running, lob-catching, Walker Kessler-esque five-man in Donovan Klingon, or somebody that you just throw the ball to in the post like Adama Sanogo. They have guys that can beat you any different way on the I, – I just – I don't know what you do to beat this team, and I don't know if someone that is as reliant on doing one thing like Miami is can beat UConn. And in the national title game, like, I just – I think San Diego team on the other side scares me. Yeah, I, I think San Diego State has a better chance because they are they're that. bigger, and I think they're they're better built to be able to handle the toughness and physicality that's going to come with UConn. But like the skill level is just it's entirely different, right? It's entirely different, and I I, I just I don't know I don't know how they lose, and it feels I I don't like saying that because that's the kind you of thing it. where like I'm convinced that I'm going to I didn't bet on UConn a single time yet in this tournament because every time that I've bet on them they've lost this year. I haven't bet on them once, even though I you know like even though Sanford Steve is out here guaranteeing that they're going to end up winning every game. So I I don't know how they lose. I think you have to take UConn. I don't know how you take anyone else in the field who beats them. I just I don't know, man. I don't know. Field got awfully small, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Panther? Well, how how does Miami beat them then, Terrence? Yeah, let's go, let's let's dive into that. If you're Miami, let's put together a scouting report. Let's pretend that you're Jim Laranega. Let's pretend that you are on that staff. Let's pretend that you are the one that has to figure out a way to beat this team. What are you doing? Where are you going? Where are you attacking? Oh, Omir has to hit two threes just to pull out the five. Wong has to get busy consistently. Like we're talking twenty-five to thirty. Pack has to go five or six from three. Like it, there's a lot of ins and outs, and I think they need a fourth guy, whether that's Jordan Miller, which we've seen him do, or whether that's, you know, Wuga Poplar. Like they need, they need two guys around twenty five or thirty. Omir has to pull them out just enough, and then they're going to have to shoot over the top and hit some really tough shots. And you know, I, I had a stat the other day. UConn's what is it? They're two and six. Whenever opponents shoot better than fifty-two percent inside the inside the uh, inside the uh, inside the arc, I got I got a superstar here, guys. I got a superstar here. I told you he'd be he's the real man. He's the real big man guy in right the house. Here. He's the real man. He's got a diamond. He's got my mail. So, oh, what you got? That's a diamond right there. That's a diamond ring doodle shelf. All right, you're good. Uh, no, but I, I think Omir's going to have to hit some shots, and then hey. <laughs> I told you guys I had some all star show up. No, they're gonna have to have they're gonna have to pull out Sano Go and Klingon somehow. That's the big thing. Guys, I'm trying. What do you want me to do? No, it, no it's awesome. It's awesome. It's so fun. Like this is what we do. I mean, the, the power is out at TO's house, so the entire family is just showing up in the background. It's awesome. Let's do What's it. going Keep on it with the power? I mean, what is going on with the where's the power company? The power they're they're out front. They're fixing the power. Apparently, after twenty five years, they have to redo the uh, they have to redo the power lines to the whole neighborhood. So that's what's happening. Unbelievable, unbelievable. You know, but you but know, Omir but ha- Omir has to pull out. Omir Omir has to pull out the the defense, and then you got to have two guys go nuts. And Jordan Miller has to play well. Like the, the, I just don't know how they go nuts though. Like the the length defensively, like Andre Jackson, uh, Jordan Hawkins is a well, good defender. Like it's crazy. Yeah, but wait a minute here. Miami scored wherever they wanted to, however they wanted to against Texas, and they only hit two threes in that game. So by your argument with the two and six, if they're over 50% from inside the three-point arc, by that course of logic, you would think that Miami will have a chance in this game because Miami doesn't need the three to win against an elite opponent. They just showed us that. Their ability to get in the lane and make those tough shots—they are a tough shot-making team. But what does Texas not? Ha- what, what does Texas not have, Fancy? What's that? An elite big man. Yes, and not only that, Christian Bishop, who starts for Texas, is six seven. Understood. It's not like and Sonogo Dylan DC didn't tall. play. Yeah, Dylan DC didn't play. But Sonogo is long armed and he's six nine and he's built like a tank. He is. He is. I, here's the thing. There's a couple things you got to do. Number one, okay, Miami, you're, you're probably you can't win a game 88, 81. I mean, you want to you want to play that way. I understand that. I understand that. But um, you're going to have to play some defense here at, at a certain point. And to do that, you've got to do two things. Number one, you, you can't let Jordan Hawkins get loose. Right now, when he hits a three, it feels like six. If that makes sense, it, it feels like yep. more than. A- Three. I mean, because it's just like an avalanche. It seems like other players are affected. That number two, you got to stop Andre Jackson. 
I mean, right now, Andre Jackson is playing the best basketball of his career on the offensive end of the floor. He's in all the right places. So they're going to need Jordan Miller to step up. They've got to find a defensive formula against Jackson. Over the last two games, Jackson has totaled 17 assists. And and that's not off coincidence. That's not off of what they're making shots. No, they are. He's setting up really high percentage shots, high percentage looks. So you've got a rebound by committee. You can't let Jackson keep this going. And then you got to get back. Like off of makes, you've got to run back because UConn will come right down. If they have any advantage off a of make, they will score the ball right now. They're elite yeah. offensively. But but you have to, have to find a way. This is how I'm coaching my team. Fellas, find a way to be close with five or six minutes left. Yes. Because that's that's where Tristan Newton gets tested for Connecticut, having to execute. If it's a close game, if it's a close game late – Miami's half-court options and ability to get good shots, I think, is a little bit better than UConn's. But you got to get there first. You got to get there first. Yep. Let me ask you this, Tio. Let me ask you this. So, uh, I think there's there's two things here with UConn offense. The biggest thing that Miami has to do is get onto the the defensive glass, right? Right. If you can't, if you force a miss, but you can't end the possession, you just you have absolutely no chance against UConn. Just none. Because they're going to pound that glass, and if uh, Andre Jackson or Adama Sanogo gets the ball around the rim, they're finishing it. If Klingon gets the ball around the rim, he's finished. It's just going to happen. You're not going to be able to stop him. So uh, forcing those misses, there's two questions I have. One, it's Norchad going up going up against Adama Sanogo one-on-one in the post, right? Yes. Are you going to be able – can he handle that? Can he go one-on-one against him? And then two, the second part of that, you know what? Answer that first, and then I'll ask you the next one. I'm going to say yeah. And the thing is, is he continues to get matched up against other big, strong dudes, and he's every bit as strong and physical. It doesn't matter who they play. So I I don't worry so much about that. I worry more so about the depth and the different coverages because I think Orchett O'Meara, I've compared him to Trevor Booker probably ten times. It's it's there. He's about as big and physical and quick twitch as you're going to get at 6'6", 6'7", 240 pounds. Like, I think he's going to be able to match up fine. Uh, I, I really – you got to find ways. It, it can't just be him. They're, they're going to have to gang rebound. Mm-hmm. I think that's another thing, too. Like, they're going to have to gang rebound. I don't worry about him competing. I wonder about him playing 25 against Sonogo and 15 against Donovan Klingon. Yes. Because he's going to have to play all 40. That's more of what I'm worried about as opposed to him just matching up 1v1 versus – Sonogo. Yeah, I, I'm just worried about like if uh, you have to make a decision, right? Are you going to send help to Sonogo? Or are you going to dare him to beat you one on one? When you dare him to beat you one on one, he has games like he did in the first couple rounds of this tournament, uh, St. Mary specifically, where he was sensational. Um, he had like if you remember the Creighton game at home, he had 26 and 10 against Ryan Kalkbrenner, our National Defensive Player of the Year, going one on one. If you double team him like what um, like what Gonzaga did, where they sent Drew Timmy on the help. All of a sudden, Sonogo was finding Andre Jackson around the basket. You have to figure out who you're going to double with and where that double is going to come from. And if you double off Andre Jackson, you better hope he's not in the dunker spot because apparently that's what's working now. All right, second question I have for you. Is Miami's perimeter defense good enough to be able to get UConn out of what they want to run? We saw it against Marquette in the semifinals of the Big East tournament. If you get out and pressure them, you don't let them run their stuff, you try to blow up. I thought it was really smart what Gonzaga did. Where they they whenever Andre Jackson was on the floor, they just uh, monster. What do you call it? Monster mashing. I call it monster manning. Monster, monster man. You, you monster yeah, man. Play guy to paint. And then whenever he yeah. wasn't on the floor, you just you you blitzed you you hard, however you want to phrase it. You blew up any ball screen and any dribble handoff that UConn had to try to get him out of their offense. Can Miami do that? No. No. They, they they're not good enough to pressure relentlessly like that. But 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 th- that's not that's not how they are going to beat Connecticut if they do beat Connecticut. Frankly, the the teams have averaged shooting thirty one percent from the three point arc in this tournament. Thirty one percent. San Diego State, by reference, has held teams to eighteen percent from three in the tournament. We could talk about inflated balls. We could talk about the rims. Like part of this has to be my, like you just said on the defensive glass, you got to pick your poison. I'm not going to relentlessly try to hedge and, and, and defend 
when I know that I really am not great at that. And if you try to over-anticipate, if let's just say Miami tries to do all that, blow up ball screens and, and try to cause chaos out there. Well, who's to say that Sonogo or Jackson's not waiting in the wings and can make something happen at the rim? And that's where it goes back to, it's kind of anti-Miami. Miami's a team, they get a defensive rebound. We got runners. We got runners left and right. Let's go. Somebody's going to make a move. They, they have to change their mentality a little bit. They can't just have Omir down low getting the rebounds. There's more than just Sonogo for UConn. UConn will command the glass in this game. But you really have to rebound by committee here if you're Miami. And I think that comes with, you're going to have to live with some, if if it's off the dribble, you live with a pull-up three. You live with a pull-up three and you take it. If it's Jackson hoisting a three, you've got to live with it in this tournament. You're going to have to live with it on Saturday. But I don't think Miami's defense is cut out to do all the things that you just listed that Marquette was able to pull off. I really don't think that. Tio. No, I think it's going to be hard. Like they're they're just going to have to play what they've done all season and just hope they hit shots. It comes down to Miami's offense. They're going to have to play some defense. They're going to have to gain rebound. But I, the only way that you beat UConn, you you don't beat them at their own game, right? Like chase them, try to get out there to shooters. Don't let Jordan Hawkins get nuts. That's kind of where that turns UConn from a good team into a great team is whenever he's hitting a lot of shots and going for twenty six to twenty eight points. But if if you can slow him down, which you think you're slowing him down until the second half starts, but if you can slow him down a little bit and hit shots, that's what you're hoping to do. And you have to gang rebound. That's the that's the big thing. So I, I agree with John. Uh, you can't play no defense, obviously, but you also can't bank on all of a sudden being a great defensive team because that's not what Miami is. Do you ever get tired of trying to prove that you won an argument that your takes weren't hot? They were right. Well, I got an answer to your problem, sir. Uh, Vaulted is a new sports prediction app that turns your opinions into facts. You can store all your predictions and hot takes in your vault now and forever. Challenge your friends, keep track of the results, and prove that you are, in fact, the smartest man on the podcast. Vaulted will also be releasing more than 50 pools in the next three months. So download the app at the link in the description here. Sign up for your three-month trial and store your predictions now and forever. And... Real quick, today's episode is presented by our partners at Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to play college basketball pick'em, where you can win real cash prizes simply by picking player stats in this weekend's games. In pick'em, all you do is pick whether a player will go higher or lower on Underdog's projected totals, whether it's points, rebounds, assists, or all of the above. And if you're like me and you think that Jordan Hawkins is going to go nuts in this tournament, uh, I'm sorry, in this Final Four, pick higher on his points projection, take higher on all of his picks, and add a couple more in there as well. You think Norchad Omir is going to get some rebounds? Take higher on that. You think that they're going to lock down Isaiah Wong? Take lower on that. You put them all together and you can win as much as 20 times your money on a single game. Underdog Slick Mobile app is also easy enough that dummies like Jeff Goodman have figured out how to make it work. So go to underdogfantasy.com or download the app and use the code FEELD, that's F-I-E-L-D, to get a 100% deposit match up to $100. Get in on the madness while it's still here. We are back. T.O. is back in the house. It was a lively lively ad break ladies and gentlemen to's got water all over his shirt but uh there's power yep. again at the Oglesby residence which is perfect because now we're gonna uh we're gonna be able to break down Florida Atlantic which is right there on the water and San Diego State which is right there on the water to I'm gonna go to you first on this one you keep saying that that Florida Atlantic is like a lesser version of San Diego State and here's where I'm gonna push back on that and I'm curious your take I think that San Diego State I'm sorry, I think Florida Atlantic is a significantly more skilled offensive team. I agree. So this, I'm kind of looking at this very similarly to the matchup with Florida Atlantic. I'm, I'm, all, I'm a mess right now. The matchup that they had with Tennessee in the Sweet 16, where we all said, I think they're going to get big boyed. I think they're going to get out physical. I think that they're not going to be tough enough to deal with it. Turns out they were tough enough, and then they made enough shots down the stretch to be able to pull away and win that game. Uh, I think they won by like nine, right? So um, where do you stand on Florida Atlantic versus San Diego State? Because I think that we're going to see FAU in the national title game. Wouldn't that be nuts? They've been consistent all year, guys. I think that's that's one thing that's kind of throwing people off is like, where did this team come from? Well, they've been here all year. And I love Dagan's dad. 
that predicted FAU and then made sure to talk shit to us on Twitter, my mm-hmm. favorite part of the weekend. And now we got to get Chris Hughes on the show before the end of the weekend. That, that, that's <laughs> that's not debatable. Got to get him on. Uh, another thing, I just throughout this tournament, it seems like every time I watch FAU play, they're on the offensive glass and they're making a toughness play and they're they're taking a charge or they're 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 getting out there the first team on the floor. That's more of what I'm insinuating as opposed to um, they play the exact same style. Offensively, uh, Florida Atlantic's much, much better. Uh, they have more guys, more skill that can play, more more guys that can shoot the three ball. San Diego State, they just find ways to make you be bad on offense, and they make you be bad consistently on offense. The fact of the matter is, when, if Florida Atlantic's bad, they're going to have to have that defense really show up, and they can. They're 29th in the country in defensive efficiency. I understand all that. It's just San Diego State's just a little bigger and a little older and a little more physical. That's kind of what I'm alluding to. Yeah, and what they do really well is um, they they make you take a lot of bad threes, right? If you look at their numbers, they should make you shoot a lot of threes, right? Which normally isn't what you want to do. Um, the general thinking, and, and UConn kind of subscribes to this, and there's a lot of other really good defenses that subscribe to this, is you just don't let teams shoot threes. You run right. them off the three-point line, and you dare them to challenge someone like a Nathan, Nathan Mensa at the rim. Whereas what San Diego State does is they kind of force you into taking a lot of tough threes because they don't let you get by them. They don't let you dribble past them. They, they, a lot of it is, you know, I've said this before, but it's like the hand checking, it's shucking cutters. They play a physical brand of basketball where they kind of dare you to their referees to make a, a foul call on every possession. And they're just not going to do it. This is not going to happen. Um, so I do think that a lot of it is going to come down to can Florida Atlanta create John? Can they get into the lane? Can they uh, get a, po- a paint touch and kick the ball out? So someone gets a, a chance at a closeout or an open three. And I think that they have enough skilled guys on that perimeter to be able to do it. Where do you stand? I think they absolutely do. And the fact that they're not over-reliant on one or two pieces is really good for them. Uh, they they have the depth factor. They have the playmaking ability to get in the lane. And guys, they, they've got this makeup that has allowed them to be incredibly poised against great defensive teams. Like, San Diego State's a team of grown men, and and there's no question about their toughness and about Nathan Mensa and about Agueca Rope, who I think has been fantastic in this tournament in the doses that he's played. But, like, you think FAU is going to be faced by San Diego State having gotten through Tennessee and Kansas State? You know, I, I don't think so. And... When I look at this team, what I like about them is that from game to game, like John L. Davis shot three for nine against Tennessee. And Florida Atlantic had that game won. They really yeah. did. Um, they're a group that I think Elijah Martin in this tournament has gotten steadily, steadily better, is so comfortable being able to make a move at, at, at six foot two. The ability to hit shots off the dribble. He's efficient at the same time. Brian Greenlee, to me, is maybe the most underrated guy on this team because he's a guy that I think he stepped up in the most key situations for this Owls team to have 16 points in just 21 minutes. And that's just it. Against San Diego State, you better have depth. And they play, the Owls play nine guys at 15 plus minutes. Creighton plays five guys at 30 plus minutes. Yeah. Okay. That's a big difference. Creighton's a really good team, but Creighton did not have depth. And it ended up leading in the last five minutes of that game. Did you see Creighton huffing and puffing? They were struggling mm-hmm. to finish the game. Yep. Dusty Dusty Mays got a team where if he says, you know what, Elijah Martin, I can't I I just don't see it right now. I'm going to throw in Michael Forrest or Nick Boyd. It's not working out for you. Brandon Weatherspoon gets a look or Jalen Gaffney gets a look. They have a well-rounded nature to them. That's what it's going to take to beat the Aztecs. You got to hit some perimeter shots. I mean, 18% from three, that's no coincidence. That's how great San Diego State pressures the ball. But I I like the way that this team is designed. I think they've got a formula to beat San Diego State. So I am siding with you, Mr. Doster. I I like FAU. I think they belong, and I think they will find a way to win this game. And I got to tell you guys, like, 
San Diego State, as much as they're a grinded-out rugby-style team, and I, I'm not anti-Aztecs. I, I said it way back in October when we were previewing the season. I thought this could be the year of the Aztec, and, and it has been. But on the offensive end of the basketball, who do I trust more? Honestly, I trust FAU more than I trust San Diego State. Yeah, the depth thing is key, Tio. I think that the depth thing is key for Florida Atlantic. I don't know, though. San Diego State, they have a diff different guy scoring, like, Lamont Butler, Trammell will go get loose. Matt Bradley will get loose. You know, Jaden Ledee, like. Not for nothing. Bradley's been bad. Bra Sorry to cut you off. Bradley's been bad his last three games. Well, that, to me, that's what's that's what's so impressive about this group is they, they're coming off of a win over uh, Furman and win over Alabama. And Look, how about this? In the second weekend, Matt Bradley had a combined eight points and was three for 14 from the floor. Like, that's not going to last three, for very long. Three for 17. Three, three for 17 from floor. And San Diego State beat Alabama, and they beat Creighton in the process. He, like, it's yeah. just – it's it's really, He's six really – for his last 27. He's yeah. six for his last 27, so you're right. But what what my, my point is more that um, – is that I don't think that you're going to be able to wear uh, – you're going to be able to wear Florida Atlantic down the way that, that San Diego State was able to wear Creighton down. Um, I think that they have more skilled guys and, and more balance, but – you know, at the end of the day, Alabama's got some some depth too, and San Diego State was able to wear them down. Um, it's I think what's going to be really interesting to me is just kind of how the the guards handle that ball pressure, right? And you know what else? Officials are no longer trying to get to the Final Four. Like they don't have anything to prove now, right? Like that's one thing that we talked about in the first and second round or first and second weekends is that the officials are trying to call it so that they have a chance to continue to advance in the tournament. They don't have to worry about that now. They got to call this game the way they see the game played, and and do you think that'll have any impact, Tio? Does it ever really? Is there a stark yes. different? Is there a stark difference between what happens in the first two rounds and the final four? I sometimes there is. Sometimes you get quicker whistles in the final four, but I will say this: like, or, I'm sorry. Sometimes you get quicker whistles in the first couple rounds. So if if coaches were allowing them or refs were allowing them to play like that, if, there, if there's quick, if, if if there's not quicker whistles and in the first few rounds, and there's less whistles in the final four, that's a good thing for San Diego State. Go ahead and leave the whistles in uh, your pocket. It's going to turn into a wrestling match. Yeah, yeah there not won't be any the fewer whistles. I tell you this much: there won't be any fewer whistles in San Diego State FAU than there were in Creighton San Diego State, which is yeah. what was our whole argument. I'm not trying to dwell, but. You know, T.O. and I were going back and forth on Sunday because what they called at the end of the game was not being called in the beginning of the game. Let, let, so was it a foul? Was it a foul? Let's, let's have a conversation a about that. What Was not it a foul? Game. Fanta, I'm going to you first on that on this one. Was, was it a foul, a foul, period? By the letter not, of the law, was it a foul? Not, by the letter of the law, it was a foul. But, right. but, but the argument would end then. Like, then we wouldn't argue anything. It wasn't a foul in that game. Should have <laughs> gone to over, The game should have gone to overtime. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. T.O.'s face when you said, yes, it was a foul by the letter of the law, but then we wouldn't argue anything. It's like, that's the point. <laughs> so. no, but but it wasn't a foul in that game. I disagree with the call. I hate that the <laughs> game ended that way. Uh, to me, you know, I, I, I talked with an official who, who did the second weekend of the tournament, but was not on that game. And I, I called him right up after the game. I said, what do you think? He goes, no shot in hell. He goes, you couldn't have paid me to make that call. And Lee Castle did it four times this season. And I said to him, I said, let me ask you this. I said, would you have, I said, what do you make of the argument that officials have to treat each play exclusively? And he goes, that's a bunch of bullshit. He goes, that's not true. He goes, we treat the game the way that the game is being called. He goes, sometimes games take on lives of their own. He goes, in that game, the way it was being played, I'm not calling the foul. So Lee Castle, he did the Duke Virginia game. The oh, the one with Kyle Filipowski. Yeah, he screwed that up. Yeah. Oh man, Tio, you're you're setting yourself up for failure here. He did that one. Terrence. Was it a foul? Yeah. Yes. All right. So they they it was a foul. They blew the whistle. The execution of the foul was wrong. Not entirely on him. Memphis FAU. Uh-huh. He did that one. Okay. Great in San Diego State. Like this guy, he will look you dead in the eye, call a foul. He's aching for it. And he's a guys, here's the thing. 95% of the time he's a really good official. Most, he of, the, the most of these officials are. Most, most of these, these officials, officials are. 
Yeah, like that's, I, that's the thing about the ref. I like, say all of it because he loves the big moment. He's going to make the call. But let me ask you this. If if we had played five more minutes, would we even be talking about that sequence? And the answer to that question is no. 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 San Diego State fans would not have said it was a foul on that. There, there would have no. been no argument. They would, they would not have thought that that was a foul, which is kind of where I come down to on it. Like, I understand why he made that call. If you if you see the angle from behind him, um, but the dude, like you you very clearly see the hand on the dude's hip. You very clearly see the arm get extended, and you very see, clearly uh-huh. see the player fall down. Like that is going to get called ninety nine point nine percent of the time because of the angle that the official had. Now that doesn't mean that I love the call. That doesn't mean that um, I want that call to get made. Like I would much rather. I think that that game deserved to have five more minutes figured out as opposed to to that that foul being called. But there, I don't think that you can. We probably here. we probably have Creighton in, in the final four. Yeah, we probably would if that game, if we had five more minutes. But my point is that um, I don't think that you can blame Lee Castle for making the call that he made with the no, view that he had of that game. It just, it, it is what it is. But I don't, I think the best way to say it is this. I don't think that you can sit here and say that that, that San Diego State doesn't deserve to be in the Final Four because that fall no. was called. But you, and you can also say that it sucks that a Final Four trip was decided by that call. I think that's where yes. I, I kind of landed on it. I, I, I tweeted, this is awful, absolutely awful. And immediately everyone's like, it was a foul. Folks, I'm not arguing whether or not it was a foul. I, I didn't say it, it was. It was a foul. It just was awful that that was how the game ended. It was such a competitive game. If mm-hmm. if it had, if roles had been reversed, same thing. I don't ever like a free throw being the game-winning shot. If that's more my my taste, then right. who would want that? You know, except for Aztec fans. It was yeah. just you can both say that it was the right call, and that it was a rough call. Yep. Yeah, it's brutal. It's brutal for Creighton. I feel for him. I really do feel bad for him. Because um, how I, how much closer are they ever going to get to a Final Four? Yeah. I mean, they had never been to a Final Four. Same thing with San Diego State. But like for Creighton. Man, this close for Greg McDermott. Yeah. He's the come last, so close. The last thing I will say is that I am very, very happy for like the San Diego State program. We talked about this a little bit on the uh, was it on the post game show? Um, you are. When was it on 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 Saturday night? Yeah, I'm like, look, I'm they, they had they had an unbelievable team, like a memorable once in a generation kind of a team for San Diego State when they were they were uh, number two seed. They had Malachi Flynn. Um, it was a year where there was no great team. It was kind of like this season, right? Where there was no great team and they had a very real chance to get to a final four and they had a real chance to win a national title. We could have seen Dayton playing San Diego state in the national title game in 2020. If COVID didn't blow up that tournament. And I don't think anybody would have been all that surprised. Um, they didn't get a chance to play in that event because that event did not happen. Uh, so now Brian Dutcher is getting his final four appearance. Nathan Mensa is getting his run. Adam Seiko is getting his run. Agueca Rope is getting his run to the, the to the final four. They're getting their chance. San Diego State fans who like they've been killing me in my mentions. They've been killing me in the YouTube comments. They've been absolutely they're not they really happy. With me. They're they are not the happy with me that. right now. The but the like meme. I'm happy. Like they get to they get a chance to celebrate this man. Like there there is a there is a core group of San Diego State fans that are absolute lunatics that absolutely love the text more than anything else and those who get to celebrate and not like and you know i'm not i kind of love that they they just like that's what they are like they will go at you they will go at you on twitter they will go at you on on uh you need to release you need to release our uh locations for next for for this week exactly man yeah you got to get them out there man like people aren't gonna know yeah, well, here's where they are. I'll put them right here in this uh, this podcast. We talked about Good. it a little bit uh, the other day. Little Woodrose, Wednesday night, 6 to 8 p.m. Little Woodrose on Thursday and Friday afternoon, noon until 2 p.m. It is right next to Minute Maid Park, right near the convention center. Uh, the Astros opening day is on Thursday night. Their second game of the season is on Friday night. So that place is going to be electric with all of the Astros fans that are showing up. Yes, they are home. Opening night will be played uh, seven hours after our show starts. Um then Thursday night will be at the House of Blues. Uh, it is where no, I'm sorry, not the House of Blues. It'll be at the oh. Bayou. It'll be at the oh. Bayou Music House where they are hosting the College Three Point and College Dunk Contest. Um, so we will be there eight to ten p.m. Thursday night. We will be there six to eight p.m. on Friday night at the Bayou Music House. Uh, and then Saturday, obviously, pregame, postgame show from 
um, NRG Stadium. And then on Sunday, McIntyre's in downtown Houston will be there 12 until 2, and then we'll be there 6 until 8 p.m. Um, mm. We'll just be set up all day hanging out. I don't know. I'm not right. going anywhere else. Maybe I'll go find like some uh, some like little taco stand somewhere to go get a, a like some real good um, local food. Tex-Mex. Like, I, yeah, te- I like I like finding like the little hole in the wall spots. I got to find a hole in the wall. Those are the best, man. When when it comes to barbecue and when, when it comes to Mexican food, the dumpier yeah. the place looks, you know that place is going to be absolutely delicious. Remember where, where did we go in Rock Hill? What was that place called? To remember that place? Hmm. It was like in a shopping mall, and the parking lot didn't even have like any lines drawn in the um in the lot it was gravel like oh, you walk in know. there i don't know and, goodman found that well place, and you got you know you got yeah jeff jeff has a great culinary taste um uh, jeff you know. goodman over here I'll, i'm gonna take you guys behind the scenes on uh <laughs> on on like uh, on college basketball media right what we do and what we've done every year at the final four for about a decade is uh jeff goodman jeff borzello matt norlander myself and like a whole other crew of people um, we always find a place one spot on Wednesday night. That's where we do like our big dinner, like our go, like uh, let's go, uh, let's find a really nice place. Let's go. Let's spend You're a little bit of dinner. Money. Yeah. yeah. Let's spend a little bit of money. Let's get some really fancy drinks. Let's, let's just have like a nice blowout meal. And Matt Norlander is, uh, he does not eat red meat. He does not eat steak. So we put him in charge last year to find the, the restaurant in new Orleans to go to. And he Ooh, found this unbelievable. Like he went, we went to this place called Giacomo's, which was absolutely fantastic. Un- incredible. You had to roll me out of there. It was so, so good. So but, good. but Goodman does not trust Norlander's taste in food. And I do not understand why. I will tell you this. There, like Norlander has never, ever led me astray when it comes to finding a place to eat. Like he's not going to send you to a steakhouse. It's also not that hard to find a good steakhouse in Houston, right? He's going to find a really good restaurant, right? That might have something a little bit different. And I'm fine with that, right? Because you're going to be able to, like, whatever, wherever you go in Houston is going to have a good steak on the menu. Doesn't really matter. The only bad part about Giacomo's was they had community gumbo and Goodman was eating from the community jug. Oh, my God. Yeah. He was eating straight from the community. Straight jug. from it. He's yeah, like, you want some? I'm like, good. No, nope. yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> you did. You held off. You held off there. I specifically remember that. Yeah. Because he doesn't know how to conduct himself, doesn't know how to behave. <laughs> and then, like, throughout the night, throughout the night, like, starts just, like, jumping into the wildest stories that, that like, throughout the story, you just hear Borzello and Norlander saying, that's that didn't happen. That's not true. That <laughs> Yes, it did. It did happen. No, you're wrong. You're wrong. Come on. Yeah, that's. Uh... And, he, and, and he will. He's not ordering dessert. But he's grabbing a fork. Yeah, that's his other thing. That's he'll, his other thing. He'll, so where, he'll what, take him, all of your dessert. Tell him, tell him what happened on uh, on on Sunday night. We went to Man, Barry's. hey Fanta. We went to a place. Uh, it was called Berries. It was oh. in the ba- it was in the basement of uh, Circa. So good. Ooh. We had steak. We had uh, lobster mac and cheese. Where they put the mac and cheese in the lobster and brought the lobster out. It was wow. It was incredible. Uh, we had this tab. What was potato, the uh, what Potato was the, the shrimp? What was the shrimp that we had? Uh, oh, God's work. Out. It was oh, like it was like out. stuffed. It was stuffed shrimp where they oh. like, they took the shrimp, they butterflied it, they wrapped it oh. in something, then they put breadcrumbs around it, and they deep fried that. So it was almost it was kind of like tempura, but it wasn't tempura, and they called it stuffed shrimp, but it oh. wasn't stuffed shrimp. It was like the shrimp. It was, was cra- it was crab meat stuffed shrimp that was topped with like oh. with breadcrumbs and yeah. like with with panko crumbs, and they deep fried an. And I was home Let me doing tell you chores. Something. You were home doing chores. You were not oh, doing chores. I missed out on this. What this dinner sounds amazing. But then so wait, I ordered, how did it go? Yeah, he, how did it he go? He got he got vanilla. He got vanilla cake with vanilla ice cream. No, and, to, excuse me. Sticky coffee. Uh, sticky toffee cake with vanilla. Sticky ice cream. top. Excuse me. <laughs> sticky toffee cake with vanilla icing. I got a chocolate cake with raspberries and twenty four karat gold flakes. <laughs> <laughs> wow and, and and goodman's like oh i can't eat anymore i can't eat anymore don't don't uh, don't i i'm good i don't know how you guys are gonna do it and then me and doster order dessert and goodman's like could you bring an extra fork <laughs> <laughs> i'll just have some of theirs like no you don't do what are you talking about you have some of mine get out of here he, he does do that yeah he does that 
See, yep. that's like what your wife's allowed to do. Yes. Right? Yes. Not like your buddy. No. <laughs> no. So somebody's got it. Maybe you have to snap at him this week and say, hey, it's my food. If you really want an order, you should order it yourself. Yeah, well, here's the problem. If you do that to Goodman, I can tell you exactly what's going to happen. Come on. Come on. Every, every time that you eat a meal, he's going to, no matter where it is, he's going to reach down and take a bite of it. Like if I order, for the, if at the media meal, on Saturday, I'm sitting there eating a burger and fries or whatever it is that the NCAA has set out for us. And if I tell Goodman, you stop eating off my plate, you're not going to do that. He's going to walk over. He's going to pick up my burger and he's going to take a bite out of it. That's that's what Goodman is. And that's what he would do. That's fighting. That's fighting. Words. Speaking yeah. of which, there is and, and no... he would take the bite of it. And then he have that face. The food is like. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, he'd be laughing. Yeah. <laughs> there is no there is no. Wilder moment in the media center at the final four. Then Monday night at around, because we tip off at like nine o'clock Eastern. So eight ish central Monday night around 11 o'clock local time. They come on. Typically there's like a, uh, like a speaker (laughs) system. There's a speaker system of some sort that can alert the press of what's going on. I swear it is like the running of the bulls when they say, there's pizza out. And folks, it's not like local establishment. No, they have a corporate partnership with Pizza Hut. So we are talking probably 500 boxes of Pizza Hut. Now, normally one would say, well, you'll take a slice or two. <laughs> These people, okay, they all know who they are. We've got press members taking boxes back yeah. to their chairs. Full-on larges. Now, it's the NCAA. You know, the whole bill is there's never going to be enough money. Let me tell you something. There is enough pizza. More than enough. (laughs) To the tune tune of Sean Paul last year. This is is so good. He brought out like five larges to our crew. (laughs) And like, I think, you know, Sean is not the tallest guy. So like the the last pizza is like here. And of course, Jeffrey just takes the top one and he is chowing. The, um, whatever yeah. it was that was that was so funny because there were there were five of us there right now uh, there were yeah. five of us on the show producer dagan um and and sean and we were like <laughs> we were like sean can you just go can you go grab pizza so that we have something to eat afterwards and he's like yeah, yeah i got you and he comes back he brought, he brought all pizza, the pizza. The stack of pizzas is all it's in, man. We were like, yeah. how much how much do you think we're gonna fucking eat, Sean? Like it'll what happen Monday. Doing? It'll he brought one party pizza per, per person. Oh, that's uh, it, Terrence. That's right. That's what but he that's did. How, that's well, you what know he why did. he did it? You know why he did it? Because he saw everybody else doing it. <laughs> he just grabbed the whole stack of pizza. I don't think I had a piece of pizza. No, it was horrible. It. It, was, it was horrible. Was it you and me, Terrence? Didn't we try to find somewhere to eat, and then we were like, you know what? It just ain't meant to be tonight. That might have been it. Yeah, it was brutal. Well, I'm giving Houston another shot this time. I'm gonna give them. I know that's going to draw some. Uh, it's not the best Final Four city for, for a couple of reasons. I'm it, really it's hoping terrible. It it's a terrible city for a big event because everything is so spread out, yeah. right? Like there's no the great the, the beautiful beautiful thing about New Orleans for for the Final Four is that the media hotel, the coaches hotel, all the restaurants and bars that you want to go to, right. Bourbon Street, and the stadium itself. You 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 get there. You never have to get in a car. The right. only times you're in a car in New Orleans is getting a ride from the airport to your hotel and getting a ride from your hotel back to the airport. You right. don't you walk everywhere. And now, granted, like walking home from Bourbon Street to the, the hotels that you're staying at at like 2 a.m., maybe not the safest thing in the world to do, but it's right. a 10 minute walk. You're gonna be with a group of people. There's millions of people there. It's it's and it is it is what it is. When you get to Houston, everywhere you go, you gotta get in a car. Like we're, yeah. we were finding this out as we were scheduling all these restaurants and bars to go to is that like, for the most part, it's you're looking at instead of having it be you just you can walk into one place and go to the next walk into one place and go to the next like you walk into a place you got to walk out call an Uber and it's like a five minute drive away, but you got to drive it because you're not I mean, are you going to walk a mile? Yeah. To the next spot, like you're probably not going to do that, especially if it's going to be 80, 85, 90 degrees out like what it looks like it's going to end up being. That's the problem. It's supposed to be that hot. So it's gonna be it's gonna be warm down there. Oh 80, my. yeah. 
Yeah, it's going to be warm. Which, which is kind of, which kind of on the flip side tells me like I'm okay with it being a driving city. Yeah, so it was it was hot in it was hot in New Orleans too. It was, you know, it was. Ne- and then out. next year at Phoenix is like <laughs> Phoenix is almost like you. We're talking like you have to drive an hour to get to the stadium, especially if there's a level of traffic. Like what? It's yeah, Glendale. An hour. Glendale is not in Phoenix, and then Scottsdale is not going to be where the where the media hotel. Like it just Phoenix is even more spread out. But at least like you have that one pocket that you can go to and kind of it, it'll feel like a Final Four. Because if you go to Scottsdale, have you guys ever been there? No, I've never been to Scottsdale. Oh, best, to it. best yeah. vacation I've ever taken. Yeah, there's really? like there's like twenty bars and restaurants like what right in that little area down there. And you just you you go there and you're there for the night and you just figure it out. It does what look nice. Look, I don't mind the eighties. I don't mind the temperatures. Yes. I'd rather have eighties and seventies than cold. Yes. It's gonna yeah. be fun. Let's have a great week, guys. Oh, it's gonna be a blast. It's just, you know. I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna to make it. sure that I turn on my Apple Watch so that I get my steps in. So that's that's what's gonna end up happening when you can't there. wait. I can't, can't wait, wait Listen, to put the yeah, but, on it with you fellas. This has been really personal reflection. It's been a terrific, terrific season. Our second year doing this pod. I've enjoyed every second of it. I mean, yeah, it's, it's been fun. And to our listeners, to our listeners, thank you. Thank yep. you. Yep. Thank you, everybody. We're not done yet. We still no, got one more to go, guys. We still got one more to go. Uh, so for John Fanta, for Terrence Oglesby, for the Field of 68, um, and shout out to uh, the entire Oglesby family who made a, a cameo <laughs> of, today's, <laughs> of today's episode. This is the DTF Podcast. We'll see you guys in Houston. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.